Okay, if you uh, if you had to pick a Marvel character's powers plus their day to day life, who would you pick? I would probably have to go with like probably a Tony Stark, honestly. Like, you don't have powers, but you can just science your way into whatever powers you want. Yeah. You get to do whatever you want all the time. Like even like Captain America, great, you have powers. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. But you work for the government. You probably don't make very good money doing that. Let's be real. Yeah. Like they tell you what missions to go on most of the time. And it's great that people really respect you. Mm-hmm. And you're like an American staple. But your life would just be being in active military against way harder bad guys forever. I might have to go with like, like Professor Hulk. Yeah. Because then you have like full control over your powers, but you're still the strongest thing ever. Yeah. That'd be pretty cool. And then you're super smart too. Super smart. He, he probably gets to work on whatever projects he really wants to. Probably. Yeah. Like, let's be real. And no one can really mess with him. Like, yeah. Like I'm asking for funding nicely right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, dude. He could get whatever he wants done pretty much. <laughs> yeah. That's a pretty solid choice too. Yeah. I would not want to be Spider-Man. No. The Parker luck is not something that I have the emotional fortitude to withstand. No, he's had a pretty rough life too, for sure. Yeah. yeah Definitely then, not Daredevil. No. How would you like the same hitman to kill every single person you ever loved right in front of you year <laughs> after year after year? <laughs> yeah, God. Uh, definitely not the Punisher. No. That's a lot of trauma yeah yeah oh, i'm pretty happy with my choice yeah it's yeah. solid i mean admittedly professor hulk is a little bit less badass than regular hulk but you're still just as strong so yeah i would honestly take it if it meant that i could form complete sentences <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and he never he he's always when he's Professor Hulk, he's always Hulk, right? He never shrink. Yeah. yeah. He's always Hulk on the outside, always Banner on the inside. Yeah. See, that's just, you can't beat that. Yeah. You really can't. Speaking of being super strong, should we talk about some uh, fitness-related topics? I suppose so. Okay. Welcome back to the Big Freaking Health Coach Podcast. I'm Big Freaking Neil, and I'm joined, of course, as always, every week by my business partner, buddy, Brain Twin, Health Coach Kane. What's cooking, big guy? What's up, man? Oh, you know. Same I, old, same uh, old. Gradually kind of morphed into like all out game show host voice over the course of that intro. Yeah, that was getting really close to like the beginning of a boxing match. Yeah. And in this corner. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, One of my fondest memories of training with you in the same facility 
when we worked for the same uh, evil corporate entity at the same time um, was when you would have like group training going on and you would do like timed circuits <laughs> and, and the, the, the way you were able to project your voice when announcing the, the time was amazing. <laughs> you, should, you, you should probably demonstrate for the listeners at home. Should I? Should I demonstrate? Probably should. It was, it was, uh, it was kind of one of those very old school, let's get ready to rumble game show host kind of thing. But it was a very, like there was always a five, four, three, <laughs> yes. two, and one. All right, everybody move one to the left and we're starting up in three, two. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that was it. That was it. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Warms my damn heart. Mike used to come out of his office and be like, what's happening out here? I'm like group training, bro. <laughs> <laughs> this is how we do it. <laughs> Feel free to climb in anytime. There's an empty station right over there. Let's get it. <laughs> yeah, that would no, happen. No, I'm good. I'm good though. He would probably uh, pass out from anemia and <laughs> overall, overall malnourishment. Oh man. Oh man. Yeah. Hmm. I really liked that gym. I really liked the people on the training staff. Yes. Really did not like how that whole situation was. With yeah. yeah. That's, I think that's the story at most, uh, big box gym training staffs. Yeah. Although we, I, th I feel like ours was on another level as far as the trainers go. Dude, it was like, honestly, that, that gold's crew at that location, we should have just double tripled down on personal training with the squad that we had there. Like it was easily our, our best factor for that whole gym. You could upgrade equipment till the cows come home, but our training staff will destroy your training staff. I don't care what gym you're from. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, there's a reason why uh, multiple members of that staff have gone on to run their own businesses successfully. Yes, so, yes, there is. There you go. Oh, man. What are we talking about today, dude? Well, I know it's not your birthday or Christmas. Yes. But this episode is kind of like a gift to you that you're going to re-gift to all of our listeners. We're going to talk about how to put more pounds in bench press. Dude. I know. You shouldn't have. <laughs> you know, I just, uh, I thought that we would just put this on a tee and let you just crank it out of the park. <laughs> I mean, I've never really put much thought into this, but okay, I'll give it my best shot. <laughs> so the bench press is the one where you lay down and you push it towards the ceiling. Just oh, okay. Okay. Well, <laughs> I'll, I'll do my best to, uh, pull this out of thin air. Yeah, no, man. Uh, bitch press is a, is a killer topic. I'm excited to dive in for sure. Yeah, you're the damn master of it. So I'm really excited for this one too. Cause I might just be also taking notes. <laughs> this. The way I see this going is I will probably, uh, say a bunch of things about like anecdotal things that work really well. And then you will probably chime in with an explanation as to why these anecdotal things work really well. That's <laughs> for me. <laughs> Perfect. I'm like your, your exercise science hype guy. <laughs> Perfect. 
That's as it should be, as it should be. Yeah, man. So I figure a good place to start is probably just basic form and setup. Yes. Uh, I because don't know. it's probably important to highlight for everybody who does want to put more pounds on their bench press. Yeah. You can probably bench more than you're benching right now. There are just pieces to your technique and your setup where you're losing a couple pounds of strength here and there. You will literally, if you follow, if, if you follow the advice we're about to give, and there is a small, even minor issue with your setup or technique, you will probably be stronger after this episode than you were before. <laughs> literally, it, it will be instantaneous. I mean, even I, I can attest to that personally. Neil and I, before everything was shutting down, we were working out together a couple of days a week. Yeah. And uh, Neil took me through my setup on my bench press. And I venture to say, I pretty much know what I'm doing. And Neil found a couple things. And what was a three rep max became a five rep max that day. Hell yeah. Because of the pieces that he was able to identify and uh, streamline for me. Man, so, I miss those days, buddy. Dude. Good times. Good times. Little did we know what was what was just around the corner. <laughs> yeah. so. Sitting there deadlifting all carefree together. <laughs> just ignorant and blissful. <laughs> oh man. So yeah, buddy. Uh I would say one of the most controversial parts of a bench press setup is the almighty lower back arch. Hmm. Um, a lot of people that don't really know what they're talking about. Um, I've heard this a lot. They'll, they'll watch sort of like a powerlifting style setup with a big dramatic arch and they'll make a comment like, well, that's a good way to throw your back out. Um, so the truth is in this particular exercise, having an arch in your lower back is actually safe. Uh, you're in a, very, a very safe position to allow for that. And it will put you at a mechanically advantageous position to complete that press as opposed to having a completely flat spine. Mm -hmm. Um, so to start off my setup, I typically will grab the, the bar still racked. I'll grab the bar pull up on it to sort of naturally almost like a, like I'm performing a face pull mm -hmm. to naturally retract my shoulder blades and get all those muscles in my upper back tight. And then I will plant my shoulder blades hard down into the bench, which will automatically put me in that arch position in my lower back. Yeah. Do you want to explain why it's safe to do that and why it's not going to throw out your back anatomically speaking. I absolutely do. Now, there are a couple of important distinctions to make. Mm -hmm. First of all, the low back arch is not about your low back. Yeah. All right. And you shouldn't be intentionally arching your low back more than it naturally does. Because mm -hmm. what you're really doing here is you're putting the shoulder joint into a more stable position as your rib cage elevates when you put your shoulder blades on the bench it actually aligns a couple of joints in your shoulder so your shoulder is not just one joint it's the culmination the combination of several others the ones that are actually in that capsule are your glenohumeral joint which is on the back side of that shoulder capsule and your chromioclavicular joint which is kind of where that little knot is mm -hmm. that arch rather than having those two joints offset with a flat back 
puts them into alignment one above the other yeah. as you arch your back, which makes it a lot more stable for your shoulder joint to push from. The other piece that you can get out of that bit of arch is with the extension in your spine, you can get a little bit more lat activation and your lats act as a huge shoulder stabilizer for horizontal pressing in that fashion as well. Nice. The third thing that you can get out of this is extra pec usage. Like your whole pec muscle, it's technically one muscle, but it can fire in kind of pieces, right? If you have that slight decline to it, you can recruit more pectoralis major muscle than if you were just flat on the bench. So you can also add a couple more pounds in addition to the stability because you're able to fire a couple more motor units that way. Same reason why if you were to get on an actual decline bench, Mm -hmm. uh, typically you're going to be able to press more weight there than you are on a flat or an incline. Exactly. Exactly right. So there are a few mechanical advantages that way. Mm -hmm. Um, Neil will get into to joint angles in a second here with the rest of the setup. So I'll save the rest of my joint angle shift for that. But that's three big reasons why arching your back is not bad for you. As long as you are not intentionally over arching your back. So would you say, and this is really only prevalent in competitive powerlifters, but would you say the, the super dramatic arch that you'll see sometimes, do you think that is, I mean, obviously a big part of that is to limit range of motion so that you can complete a heavier lift. Mm -hmm. Um, do you think that is specifically harmful or potentially harmful to the lifter? I think it can be potentially harmful if you do it a lot for an extended period of time. Yeah. But I think that power lifters do it because they get better leg drive that way. Uh -huh. um, there's obviously the limited, the shorter range of motion that goes with bringing it down to your rib cage instead of your pec. Yes. Um, but I also think that a lot of that arch comes from you're trying to create as much tension total body as you can, which Neil will get into in a minute. Uh -huh. But some of these guys, they got big old beefy legs, really strong glutes, and they want to curl those up under them as much as they can to get yeah. some solid leg drive. Yeah. Um, that'll make sense in a minute for those of you who have never thought about using your legs for a bench press. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, that, that sort of naturally brings you to my next point, which, so you, you've got your shoulder blades planted on the bench. You've got that not um, overly exaggerated or intentional, but natural arch to your lower back. And like Alex described, your uh, shoulder joint is mechanically aligned as it should be. Um, at this point, I would unrack the weight. And before lowering the bar to my chest, I am consciously breathing in as much air as I can uh, and flexing my core, my glutes, and my legs as hard as I can like you just touched on to create as much full body tension as possible. And the way that I sort of think about that is as you're lowering that bar, the tighter you can make your base, it's almost like you're loading a spring, right? So if you're, if you're, if nothing's flexed, if you're just sort of laying there without much intention, um, that bar is going to come down really fast. And it's going to be a lot harder to get it off your chest. If you have all of this tension underneath you, as that bar is coming down, it's like that spring is getting compressed and compressed and compressed. And then when you hit your chest and it's time to press up, 
there's so much tension and force that you're going to be able to produce because of that really solid tight base. Mm -hmm. Um, that is my meathead terminology for explaining it. What is the (laughs) science health coach Kane? The way the analogy I always use is if you don't have a solid foundation yeah. and for any lift, that means how fixed you are to the floor. That's the only constant that you have. If you don't have a solid connection to the floor, it's like firing a cannon from a canoe. Mm. Like you have nothing to generate force against. So dig those legs in, create as much total body tension as you can make the most solid, stable platform from which to push. (laughs) Otherwise your springs loading against the cloud. Who cares? Yeah. Like you can load that thing up as much as you want, but if it's not going to bounce off of anything, you're wasting all of that potential energy. Totally. So load up, but do it from a very tight base, big breath in solid. Like you're about to get punched in the gut is how I tell people to brace their core. Yes. Squeeze your glutes, drive your feet into the floor. Yeah. And then that bar is going to fly off of your chest compared to how it used to feel. Yeah. And if this seems like a lot to keep in your head as you're benching guys, and if it's kind of overwhelming for you, I would say the single piece to really zero in on initially is flex your abs as hard as you can. You'll be amazed just from that piece as you're pressing uh, how much faster that bar will move. If you just squeeze the heck out of your abs the whole time. Yeah. So cool. Uh, As far as, joint angles go another really common uh, mistake that i see a lot of people do is their elbows will flare a lot as they come Mm -hmm. down with the bar um and and typically that will coincide with the bar path uh touching down higher on the chest than it should what i'm aiming for as i lower the bar is basically the very bottom of my chest um almost my sternum And depending on your anatomy and structure, that might vary a little bit. But basically, you want your elbow to stack really, uh, really solidly right underneath where your hand and your wrist are supporting the weight. And in order to do that, you your elbow should come down at more of a 45 degree angle um, to your torso. And that will naturally put the bar exactly where it should land. Um, so the, the key things here to remember are adjust your grip width so that you can maintain that solid stack of weight on top of wrist on top of elbow. So in other words, your forearm is a straight line up and down mm-hmm. and then, uh, your elbow angle and, or your upper arm angle rather should coincide with where the bar will hit you on the, on the lower part of your chest. Uh, what are the sciencey ways to say that? Um, I explained it the exact same way as far as like grip width on the bar Yeah. at the bottom of that lift, your forearm should be straight up and down to the ceiling. Yep. They should be stacked. What that means for your shoulder joint is it can actually change the plane of motion that your shoulder joint is moving in. Okay. If you have your elbows flared out 90 degrees from your rib cage, your shoulders working in the transverse plane of motion which is not a strong position for that particular joint. It puts a lot more emphasis on the actual shoulder and much less on the pec. And the amount of straight up pressure on your shoulder joint is 
ridiculous and unnecessary. Yeah. So dropping those elbows down a little bit closer into your body is a better loading scheme and it puts you in a sagittal plane. Sagittal plane is like moving forward and back, which is the direction you're actually pushing in. Yeah. So if you can align the direction that the joint is moving with the direction of the force you're producing, you're going to produce more force more efficiently in that direction, less strain on your joints. Yeah. Yeah. So making sure that you are underneath the bar in the right plane of motion and driving in the right direction. Mm-hmm. It's going to make a huge difference. Yeah. And your shoulder won't hurt afterward. Go yeah. figure. <laughs> right. Yeah. Pretty much anytime from uh, on more of the, the hypertrophy slash bodybuilding side of things. Mm-hmm. Anytime someone says to me that they can't seem to grow their chest, uh, I'll watch them do either a bench press or some type of horizontal press, whether it's a machine or, or, or a free bar bench. And typically that's how, that's how they do it is their elbows are way flared out. The bar is hitting them on the very top of their chest. Um, and like you said, it's putting a lot more tension on the front of their shoulder rather than their actual pecs. So of course their pecs are not going to adapt to that and grow because so much of that load is getting transferred onto their shoulders. Mm -hmm. And more importantly than that is it puts you at a lot higher risk of injury as well. Yeah. So cool, man. Uh, what's next? What's next? Uh, I think it's important to talk about frequency and volume and how to progress so that you can add weight to your bench press. Now that everyone's doing it properly, how do we add actual strength to the movement? Yeah. Yeah. So I would say, depending on your, uh, experience level, as a lifter, uh, twice a week seems to be a good sweet spot for me in terms of frequency. Mm-hmm. And typically how I will do my programming and my programming for my powerlifting specific clients is one of those sessions. You're just benching. There's nothing fancy about it. You're not putting chains on the bar. You're not pausing. You're just touch and go bench pressing as heavy as you can for the prescribed rep range and sets. Mm-hmm. Um, the second session in the week, there will be some type of uh, dynamic resistance to the exercise. So whether that's a two second pause on your chest or you're adding chains to the bar or bands to the bar, um, there will be some other dynamic element to the lift. Um, and that will come down to exactly like what your sticking point, what your weak points are on the bench press itself that will dictate which of those accessory movements I choose for that client. Um, how about you? How do you program it? Um, I mean, anything that you want to improve, you have to do a little bit more frequently, but not excessively frequently. So I like twice a week personally, especially if you're fitting it in the context of a full program. Mm -hmm. Um, I think those guidelines are great. Yeah. I think a set and rep scheme is something that we could go into a little bit more as far as like, let's say we're doing a four week program Uh and with the intent of increasing the amount of weight that we can push on a bench press for like five reps. Yeah. Yeah. So if I were doing a four week program, I would probably just stick with a five by five, Mm -hmm. stick with five reps and every week try to add a small increment to that. So probably five pounds. Mm -hmm. Um, and then try to progress that way. And if you do hit a sticking point, then sort of deload, just sort of the starting strength methodology of, of progression. 
Um, if we're talking a more, a, a longer program, like a full 10, 12 week powerlifting program, a lot of times I like to do uh, linear progression. Mm-hmm. So you're starting with a higher rep count and a lower intensity and you're ending up at a much lower rep count and a much higher intensity. So week one, it might look like uh, four sets of 10 mm-hmm. week 12, will probably look like five sets of two, five sets of three. And then in the middle there is when you're going to get your five by five and your four by six and those type of rep schemes. Mm-hmm. Um, how about you? What do you think? Yeah. I mean, similarly linear progression, progressive overload is really the only way to do it. And yes. the factors that actually count technically as progressive overload are the ones that go into volume. So total volume per workout, yeah. uh, load and reps. Yeah. Um, technique improvements are great, but they're not technically progressive overload. We're assuming that you already have good technique at this point. Yes. Um, so what I typically do is I do a, a test workout to see what their five rep max is. Uh-huh. And then I would probably start them on the high end of the maximal strength rep ranges, which I consider to be eight reps ish, yeah. like where you would start doing hypertrophy reps. Yeah. Um, so week one, I'd have them do a, f- a four by eight touch and go on day one. And then they would probably do a four by six or something with the dynamic additions that you're talking about. Uh-huh. Um, I like that. And do you pick those based off of where their sticking points are? So like if their lockouts rough, do they do chains? If their off the chest is rough, do they do pauses? Yes. So usually... Usually if you're going to fail a bench press, you're going to fail in one of two spots and either it's going to be just a few inches short of lockout, which that's, that's me. I've gotten, I've literally gotten within like an inch of lockout and not been able to complete a rep. Uh, and then there's the other end of that spectrum is it's barely going to leave your chest. Like you might get an inch or two off your chest or it'll just completely pin you <laughs> mm-hmm. and you won't be able to move the bar. Um, usually if you're in camp a and you struggle with the lockout, Um, what you want is to make the lockout the more challenging part, uh, to practice, to improve it. So whether that's chains, um, the, what, what chains basically do is as the bar touches your chest, more of the chain is on the floor. And then as you press more of that chain comes off the floor. So the top portion is heavier, Mm -hmm. um, bands, exact same concept. If you have a, a heavy duty and a long enough band to loop it underneath the bench itself and put one end on one side of the bar, one end on the other end of the bar. Um, that will do the same thing. It will create more tension as you complete the rep and there will be less tension at the bottom. Um, and then, yeah, if your sticking point is on the chest, the best way I've seen to tackle that is, uh, just long exaggerated pauses. So Mm -hmm. like two, three second, two, three seconds on the chest before you press basically. So Yeah. So that, that's a great way to pick your dynamics based off of where you struggle in the lift. Mm-hmm. So that's exactly what I would do as well. That first week would be the four by eight with the touch and go. And then I just shave two reps off and add the dynamic is how I do it. Nice. Um, then the next week you do a four by six for your touch and go at a higher weight. Mm-hmm. And then you would go back to the same dynamic. I pretty much keep the dynamic the same for the four weeks and make yeah. the touch and goes heavier for shorter reps. And then I'll do like five sets of four the third week. And then the usual dynamic workout and, uh, 
then the fourth week I'd be hesitant to test a new five rep after just three weeks. So I'd yeah. probably do one more, like six doubles, yeah. six triples, something like that. And a dynamic and then retest after that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Solid man. No, I think the, like you said, the most important factor with any type of strength program is the progressive overload. So you have to be adding more weight to the bar or more volume, like you said, more reps, um, in order to drive that adaptation and actually get stronger. You can't just do the exact same weight for the exact same reps all four weeks in a row and expect mm -hmm. a whole lot of change to occur. Right. Um, so whether that's linear progression or whether it's something really, really basic, like starting strength where you're literally just every week trying to add five pounds. And then when you can't, you deload that works mm -hmm. too. It just depends yeah. on, uh, where you're at and what you need out of your program at this time. Yep. Yep. And the newer you are, the longer the starting strength will, will work for you. Yeah. 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 I, I find that it's, it's used, it's best used as either a first program, hence the name starting strength, or if you're a more advanced lifter and you hit a plateau with some of the more advanced techniques you've been using, sometimes it works really well just to scale back to something super basic like that. Yeah. And it can actually get you through that plateau. I found. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Is there anything on the technical side that we missed health coach Kane, or does that about cover it? Um, as far as the, just the bench pressing, you guys, I mean, the majority of your work on a bench press should be actually bench pressing. Yeah. Like I know you've talked about it before and I occasionally get this question to a lesser degree, but mm. what accessory work should I do to improve X, Y, Z lift? Mm. Usually those people aren't doing the actual lift enough. Yes. Um, so accessories are important, but don't sacrifice. You're missing the forest for the trees. This is a really popular thing. And I've, I kind of blame social media for this. Yeah. Uh, it's a really popular thing among power lifters right now to do all of these crazy accessory variations of the main lifts to the point where like, when are you actually making time for the lift itself? Um, and the reason I blame social media for that is I think it's cooler to put a post on your, on your Instagram of you bench pressing with a whole bunch of bands and chains and pauses and all this crazy stuff and boards and whatnot. Um, it's cooler to show that it's sexier than like, just here's a simple, here's a regular bench press <laughs> basically. Mm -hmm. So and it, it makes for a way better time-lapse YouTube video. If someone has yeah. eight or nine exercises to show on chest day yeah. versus like some of those chest workouts we did, we did three exercises. It took yes. an hour and 10 minutes sometimes, but yes. like we benched with appropriate rest. Mm -hmm. We had one or two accessories that were identified by our sticking points and our weak spots. Yeah. We did those very well with adequate rest and that was it. Yeah. Yeah. So takes it. I mean, it's not, it's not rocket science. One of the, the most common things that impede your progress is overcomplication. Yes. So since we're speaking about accessories, do you pick those the same way that you pick the dynamic, like based on which part of your week is the lift is the weakest. Mm. Does that inform which muscle groups need training? And then how do you pick the appropriate exercise for that muscle group? Yeah, exactly. So I don't really see the purpose at throwing 
just random accessory exercises at people without, uh, without any consideration for their specific weak points and what they need. At that point, it's just like, it's basically junk volume, right? It's just, you're throwing it at it for the sake of adding sets and reps without a whole lot of intent behind it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, the way I would look at it is okay. If your sticking point is the lockout, like myself, what you really need to focus on are the muscles involved in that last portion of the lift, which mostly is your triceps. Mm -hmm. um, so for somebody like that, if they have the shoulder mobility to handle them, I would have them do a lot of dips. I found that dips and when possible weighted dips to be one of the single best things for improving your lockout. Um, and then just other tricep isolation exercises, push downs. Sorry. Like, do you find that the dips are a better choice whenever possible than like the rope pull downs and other tricep extension variations? I would say so because it's an actual, it mimics an actual press. Yeah. Um, it's a way to overload your triceps in a actual pressing movement mm -hmm. as opposed to like a skull crusher or a push down, which is more elbow extension. You're yeah. still targeting the right muscles, but it's not going to mimic the actual movement quite as well as doing a, a heavy dip like that. And for people with uh, tender shoulders, do you think that a close grip bench press or close grip, like dumbbell bench press with like a neutral grip is a good substitute for that? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I actually am a, I'm a big fan of a close grip bench press. Not like, not the crazy exaggerated close grip where your hands are basically touching. Yeah. Like shoulder width, like shoulder width or just inside shoulder width is as close yeah. as I would go for sure. Cause you don't want to impinge that shoulder joint. Yeah. Because then you have nothing to do except flare your elbows a little bit when you get down to the bottom. Yeah. And, and to go back to alignment a lot, like you need to be able to keep solid joint alignment or you're not going to be able to load it. I was just going to say to touch back on joint alignment. If your hands are touching and your elbows are flared out, none of your joints are aligned for that press. Yeah. Um, so yeah, what I would do is what as close as you can go while keeping maintaining that joint alignment of, of elbows underneath your wrists. Um, but with your elbows tucked in. So as, as, as close as you can tuck in your elbows and maintain that joint alignment, that's how, that's how close your grip should be basically. Right. Which is why we recommend the roughly 45 degree angle for your actual bench press, because having your elbows tucked all the way in puts a lot more emphasis on those triceps. Yeah. Um, if you're, if a major weak point for you is getting the, the bar off your chest, mm -hmm. um, best thing that I could think of to tackle that would be just a, dumbbell flat press because you can increase range of motion. Mm -hmm. So if you can get a, a bigger range of motion, in other words, you're able to stretch further with the dumbbells than you are with the bar. Um, you're going to be working that plane of motion harder than, than with a bar basically. And um, what muscle group is, is usually lagging if you're having trouble getting it off your chest? Is it just one? Is it just a certain piece of that motion? I would say usually it's, it's just your, your overall pec strength. Yeah. Uh, because if you're able to get it almost to the point of lockout, then that's obviously your, your triceps that are lagging, but that initial part of the lift is pretty much all chest. If your setup is correct. Right. Um, so really any, I guess any accessory exercises that are really going to isolate your chest, even, even like a heavy fly, 
um, would work well too. So nice. Cause that's also important. You guys, the problem with your bench press can be your pecs. Yeah. I mean, they don't, they don't work in isolation for your bench press. So you have a bunch of anterior shoulder and tricep that does a bunch of work too. And there could be a chunk of your pecs that just aren't doing their part. And that's okay. I mean, that's normal. There's, there's ways for that to be perfectly healthy, but not ideal. So you could have to work specifically your pecs more. Yeah. Cause they're not getting enough out of your bench. I would say I probably see triceps as the weak point a little bit more frequently, but yeah, much like I would say it's, it's almost an even split where your, your weak point is actually just your chest and your usually those people are more shoulder dominant. Maybe they've been bench pressing wrong their whole lives with that dramatic elbow flare. Um, and their shoulders have just taken the brunt of a lot of their training. So their chest is underdeveloped. I'm actually one of those, my, my shoulders usually historically have done the most of that. Um, I don't bench very much. Neil can attest to that, but I shoulder press almost as much as I bench. Yeah. So like, that's a very shoulder dominant thing. So my accessory work is obviously going to be pec related. I did the one doing the flies and things like that. Yeah. Sweet, man. I like how much accessory work do you recommend? How many exercises and do you do the accessories every workout and for how many total sets or reps? Yeah. So I would say if you're doing, uh, to go back to the original structure that we laid out, if you're bench pressing twice a week or some variation of, of bench pressing twice a week, um, I would say two, three max accessory exercises at the end of each of those sessions. Mm -hmm. And I would keep it at three sets per exercise. Um, and depending on the exercise, the rep range will probably be a little bit higher than, than your actual bench, uh, rep scheme. Um, so if like you're doing if something you're doing four by eight on your bench, you're probably doing a three by 10 or 12 on your accessories. Yeah, exactly. Um, if you're doing something like a weighted dip or something, that's more of a, more of a press, more of a compound rather than just an isolated elbow extension exercise. Right. Um, those I would, I would still take down to a lower, more strength rep range, probably the same rep range as what you did on the bench, maybe add or uh, add a couple reps to it. Nice. I would say, uh, you agree or do you have something to add? No, I think that's perfect. I, I would say two, like if you're doing a chest specific day, mm. yeah, do two exercises that are going to help your sticking points. Yeah. Do them for three sets of something medium if it's heavy and a compound, you can do it for shorter sets. I still wouldn't do it for more sets. I'd still yeah. do three sets of it, but yeah. maybe like if you do a weighted dip or something, you do three sets of six for it. Yeah, totally. Which is totally allowed. Yeah. You don't have to do 10 to 12 reps every time. There's only three sets of something. So yeah, exactly. if it's heavy, you've done a bunch of heavy compounds for that pressing movement already. You don't have to load up volume on that joint anymore. You just want to crush your triceps yeah. then move on to a different tricep isolator for the 12 rep range and you're good to go. Yeah. The main reason I wouldn't prescribe like a six reps or fewer on something like a push down mm-hmm. is I found that with single joint exercises like that, in order to get the load high enough to get into that lower rep range, I find that at that point you're, you end up loading other muscle groups. 
Yeah. Like if I'm trying to do a six rep max on a tricep push down, I'm going to be feeling my core. I'm going to be feeling my chest, my shoulders, triceps are still going to be working, but in order to really isolate them, I find that I need to lighten that load and stay in more of the eight to anywhere from eight to 15 rep range. Well, not to mention just the amount of stress that you're putting on the tendons and ligaments that go into a joint like that when you're trying to isolate it, it's such a high load. Yeah. I mean, that increases your risk of injury and can even keep you extra super sore through the day you're supposed to be benching next. And that's no good. If you're not recovered by your next workout, you're not going to be able to put in the intensity you need to make progress. Yeah. Yeah. So for both of those reasons, no cheating and no hurting yourself. (laughs) Yeah. Keep the sets longer and the load lighter on single joint exercises like that for sure. Agreed. Yeah. And I guess that brings us to a good sort of final point here is recovery is also certain a super important piece, not just for bench, obviously for any lift, but I don't know. I see a lot of powerlifters these days taking the, uh, one of the main lifts or all of the main lifts and performing them with super high frequency. Like you've probably seen those squat everyday programs. I hate those. It's crazy, dude. It, it's nuts. Um, you do need to actually allow those, those muscles and joints and tendons and ligaments to heal up and recover in between your sessions. So that's why we recommend twice a week, um, depending on obviously your volume and your load, but Mm -hmm. you definitely need to actually allow for recovery in order to progress your bench or any other main lift like that. Yeah, for sure. Truth. Boom. Get out there and bench guys. Get out there and bench. That should be the cheat sheet that gets you a few more pounds today and five to 10 more pounds next month. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Maybe even five to 10 more pounds sooner. So yeah, if you haven't been on a structured program for it before, this is going to help a lot. I remember the Um, first, that's all I've got, man. You got anything else you want to add? So that about covers it, man. I was just going to say, I remember the first structured powerlifting program I followed. My bench probably went up like 10% in like, 10 weeks, which maybe doesn't sound like a ton, but if you think about it in terms of poundage, like yeah, do the math, 10 of 400 pounds is 40 pounds. That's, that's a lot of, a lot of added weight for sure. That's a lot. You guys are in for some gains. <laughs> All right, you guys, please, if you learned something and I'm sure you did like share comment, do everything you can to spread this around so other people can bench and you'll have some competition. And uh, that's Big Freaking Neil. I'm Health Coach Kane. This has been the Big Freaking Health Coach Podcast. Yeah. And let us know if there are any specific exercises you want us to cover in the future, and we'll be happy to do some episodes on those as well. Until next time, signing off. (laughs) (laughs) Later, guys. Yeah.